WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible in 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claim the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. Happy New Year. Today is Tuesday, January 2nd. Recording this early in the morning, around 8.30 on January 2nd. My name is Ethan Frank, and as always, we're brought to you by Empire Hearing and Audiology. We thank them very much for their support of the podcast. Joined here in 2024, Jordan and Hudson are sticking around. Mr. Leonard, I'll come to you first. How are you? Doing great. It's been a nice restful New Year so far. Didn't get to sleep in on day two, which is unfortunate, but you know, nothing better to wake up to than the Ostrom Avenue podcast. And what else could you get up for? Uh, <laughs> nothing else. And uh, Mr. Ridley, still in the state of Florida. Happy New Year. Still in the state of Florida. Went down to Miami, got a little uh, bowl game swag. Close game. Some say the closest in <laughs> bowl game history and not a 60 point loss uh, for Florida State. It felt like watching Florida State beat Syracuse in that game, but it was significantly worse on the scoreboard. Still a fun time. So, you know, Syracuse had, what, the worst bowl loss in the history of the ACC for a total of a week and a half. So mm-hmm. I, I guess that's a, it's good vibes heading into 2024 for the Orange. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you, uh, you can see who our guest is today. And if you've been listening to our recent episodes, there's a pretty clear trend of where this is going today. We are very lucky to be joined by the podfather, the godfather of the Ostrom oh. Avenue podcast, Brendan Mortensen. Brendan, how are you? I am wonderful. The podfather is a wild nickname, by the way, for something that I just started and thought was a fun thing. But no, nothing reminds me that I am now out of college and not like you guys, like staying up late on New Year's Eve, not sleeping in on the second day of the new year and just getting hit like a truck at 830 in the morning. So, so happy to be with you guys. Wouldn't do it for anybody else. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, you know, we wanted to continue having all the the alums back on the pod here around the holiday season. Uh, just, you know, give back to the listener and and really experience what makes the Ostrom Avenue podcast what it is. So, Brendan, you know, when you were when you decided that and you're know, looking back through the history of the show, um, episodes date back to you know, fall of 2019, like September, August, September, right around there. Uh, Owen talked about it a good amount last week, but as the, you know, the, the guy who, who had this idea, what was that whole, whole process like? Yeah. So basically I interned with the, the network that I'm with now, Masson after my sophomore and junior year of colleges, and we had two podcasts. We had a podcast covering the Orioles and a podcast covering the nationals. And I got to like feature on it a little bit. I thought it was really cool. 
And at WAER, I wasn't one of the bigger play-by-play guys. I always liked play-by-play. I always really enjoyed it. But there were a bunch of really talented people surrounding me. It, it didn't really grab me in the way that it did for a lot of other people. So I knew that it wasn't really going to be my avenue to go down. And honestly, I came back to WAER my senior year. And not having a podcast just kind of felt like a miss for the place that is always advancing really great broadcasters at Syracuse. So I brought the idea to Jack McMullen and just kind of got it started. And and the first year that we did it, you know, I brought the idea to Owen and it was just kind of a fun thing. Like we didn't have great guests on. We weren't inviting on writers. It was basically which one of our friends is calling this game and already did their game notes and wants to come on the podcast and talk about it. And it was really fun. I mean, it was really good reps for, People that, you know, maybe weren't necessarily doing the play-by-play thing, wanted to try out podcasting, wanted to do more talk, whatever. And it it started as just a fun way to talk about Syracuse sports. I guess I always kind of figured that it could grow into something. I think probably the best idea I had with it was kind of the grade tier thing of, you know, towards the end of my time there, bringing on Ben Shulman so that we were able to keep it moving. But yeah, it just started out as a fun thing, and it's really cool to see how it's grown. It's we we've tried to you know everything adapts and evolves, and I think you know everyone you know we've had on whether it be Ben or or Johnny or Owen, we're like wow, it's very weird because Owen was talking about you know the first episode of the podcast was breaking down something like this super niche. The first episode of the podcast was terrible. By the way, I remember (laughs) opening up the podcast. I think I forgot to intro like myself and Owen and I just got right into it. I I think we were talking about like the Syracuse defensive line or something like that. And I just started breaking down like really specific things. There was no conversation like happening at all in the beginning of the podcast. It was just like, hey, this is my name. This is the stuff I know about. And it was terrible. And then it got better from there, I hope. But it, it was bad. That's good. It it feels a little similar to what's happening right now because the first three episodes of our, our our alums bring back on, I made sure off the top to ask them, you know, what have you been up to since you left school? And instead, I decided to just jump right in with, with the question. So I'll give the floor to you. You mentioned being at Masson. So since you left yeah. Syracuse, I guess, update the listeners. What, what have you been up to? Yeah, well, I graduated during COVID, which was really cool and really fun. I really enjoyed it. It was a great time to be entering the job market. Uh, but uh, no, I got I got really lucky with, you know, with Masson. It was the the network that I interned with in college. And um, I, I got lucky enough that after senior year, even with COVID going on, they still decided to play a really weird baseball season. So I had a really weird job. And then, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm down here now covering the Orioles and Nationals. Uh, I've got my own podcast now, which is a, a fun little full circle thing for me here with you know, starting Ostrom Ave and then being able to do that and somebody actually gives me money for it. That's that's nice. So, uh, yeah, just just covering baseball and having a great time. So when you think about, you know, what Syracuse athletics were like when you were were, let's say, I guess, pre-COVID your senior year to to where they are now, you know, yeah. seeing, you know, the state of this athletic department from afar there's been a lot of change what a, what is that like from the outside and you know what you're talking about on the podcast in 2019 or 2020 and now we're here crazy four and a half years later in 2024 yeah i mean a lot of dramatic changes obviously when you're looking at basketball and football with two new head coaches not 
seeing Jim Behan on the, you know, on the sideline for Syracuse basketball is really, really weird. It's great. I think it was a, a change that probably needed to happen. I think while I was there, you were still seeing some of the Bayheim magic, really. I mean, my freshman year, you had the John Gillen buzzer beater against Duke. You know, you had a couple of Sweet 16 runs in there where it felt like the team still had it. It felt like that classic Syracuse basketball that you knew and loved with just, you know, tall athletic guards at the top of the two, three wings that were just far too tall and probably needed to be stretched fives, but were just menaces at the three and four on the outside of the zone. And then a center that was just like an actual intimidating presence in the middle of the zone. It felt like you still had those classic Syracuse basketball teams. And then towards the tail end, it, it was losing a little bit of the magic, which was kind of a common theme there because my junior year, you had the 10 win football season. You just beat West Virginia in the bowl game. You were feeling good. And then going into senior year, we thought like that was the team. I'm pretty sure we talked like on the talk side of WAER, like where are the losses in this Syracuse football schedule going into my, that's how delusional we were going into that senior year. And then there were a lot. So the, the Dino Babers magic, I think that was kind of when it started to fade, he bought himself a lot of time with that 10 win season with the bowl win over West Virginia but that was that was kind of the beginning of the end where like you, you knew what the vibe was with the offense. It was the offense that would not huddle the special teams that were going to be well coached. And then that message just it, it just kind of faded year after year after graduating. So it was cool to be there when you, when you still had the good basketball runs. It was the best football season in recent memory. And then since then, it's it's been a harder watch. So, Brendan, I have to ask you, have you seen. We've we talked about it a little bit because Ethan was PJ Clark showed Ethan this. Have you seen the Dino Babers intro like speech on the basketball court at the game on YouTube? <laughs> I don't I don't think so, but it sounds like <laughs> I need to. Ethan, it, it, Ethan, well, it's, Ethan, it's reminiscent. It, it's, it's reminiscent of well, you mentioned you know the, this the offense that will not huddle. It, <laughs> it's like this mashup that they made of him. So I get it. Context of it is because we were at the game that you know working the game that Fran Brown was introduced and like he spoke at the I think the under 12 or under eight timeout in the first half like not even at halftime and he spoke for maybe 20 seconds like he said about two sentences um and I mentioned that to PJ and PJ was like well have you ever seen Dino's he's like it's like four minutes long and you know they put together this mashup of like highlights from the introductory press conference and then Dino you know gave a classic Dino speech trying to rile up the crowd talking about faith and belief and 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 without things, evidence yeah things of that nature <laughs> no evidence whatsoever there no. was no evidence Dino no um so that I and you you reciting a couple of those lines really you know hit home for myself and for Jordan because we, <laughs> yeah. we love that speech it, well, I mean, it is one of the funniest things I think I've watched this past semester. <laughs> Well, and it gets unfortunate for Dino because it's one of those things where while we were there and the football team was like clearly on the come up, you had the win against Clemson, you had the 10 win season, like I mentioned, like that stuff doesn't sound corny when your football team is good. Like when he's like, yeah, the offense is going to be the fastest thing you've ever seen on the field. And then you come out and it's dungy and you're like actually doing cool stuff. You're like, oh, he, he's got something like maybe he's connecting with these guys. And then you get into the couple of years of struggling and it's like, yeah, the special team's definitely really well coached. Like, let's just keep running those well, lines. At back. one, point, at one point, at one point in recent history, there was no special teams coach, no. <laughs> which was the funniest thing. I, I think the special I think teams that will in, not be coached. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think we all fall into that trap of of trying to figure out what the record is going to be. I mean, just looking at next year's schedule, we're joking about a college football playoff potential since you don't finish you you don't play any of like the top four teams in the ACC. You got Fran Brown, and at least it was it's not the the Dino Babers non hype. Although I will say the funniest thing about the Dino the Dino isms as they got as they went on, I think he kind of realized that people like as you keep losing, just people stop buying them. Like they don't care about them. Um, but he would keep the one he's he harped on this year, especially about the offense, was if all eleven guys aren't working together, the play won't work. Well, that is your fault for all eleven guys not working together to make the play work. And consistently, they worked less and less. It felt like throughout the year, it felt like they never got coached anymore. It's an interesting perspective that you have, like after that ten win season too, because we haven't seen anything remotely close to that in our time at Syracuse. Even though last year, getting off with those six wins and nearly beating Clemson, I mean that was nice, but there really hasn't been anything to compare except now. For the Fran Brown era, I don't know how closely you followed over the last few weeks and the hype, but it's building. I I don't even know how to quantify the 10-win season hype going into next year. Is there a way where you can kind of balance the two and kind of give us a good perspective of which one is a little more hyped coming into the year? Because we're also doing the where's the losses. Yeah. Well, it's different, right? I mean, after the 10-year season, you felt like everything was in place. Like, you knew what Dino was going to give you. You had a pretty good idea of what the offense was going to look like. You felt solid about the quarterback situation. It was a good roster. And going into the season after the 10 wins, you felt like you had a pretty good idea of what the expectations should be. It should be something around right there. You knew where there, there were some magical wins over that 10-win season, but you felt like the momentum was building. And over the last few years, I'm sure you guys have felt it too. I've certainly felt it as somebody who isn't actually on campus watching those games anymore. Syracuse football lost me a little bit. It's like checking in every week, just not knowing who the quarterback was, wasn't an awesome feeling at the tail end of this year. And so over the last few weeks, seeing all the excitement with Fran Brown, I mean, the excellent introductory press conference that got everybody fired up. And just seeing the recruits coming in, obviously McCord being really exciting as kind of the headliner, but just getting really good pieces across the board. You have to temper expectations a little bit. We were not tempering expectations after the 10-win season, so I think that's where it's a, a little different for me, where it's like, all right, let's see the guy call a timeout, and then we'll kind of go from there to see what the team is going to look like. But obviously with the roster, there's a lot of reasons to be excited, maybe even more reasons to be excited than there were after that 10 win season. So if nothing else, like I'm definitely back in on Syracuse football, but I don't know if it's the same sort of expectation that I had after that 10 win year. Yeah. I'm looking back at the the guest log, the podcast log here that we have. And I'm just very curious, like what you guys were talking about during this 2019 season. Cause you mentioned it, you like, you just had all the play by play guys. And like, yeah. I'm looking at the log, the first like dozen episodes of the show is basically everyone's affiliation is part of WER sports. So like, as you know, you know, this, they started, they started well, and then they had this absolute swoon, which is, I mean, maybe we should name the Dino swoon, which happens in, in October and November, like as things were declining, like, and you're like, Oh, they're not going to win 10 games again. Oh, they're not going to win eight games now. Oh, they might not even make a ball game. Like what was the, the arc of that season? Like, especially on the podcast. 
Well, I'll tell you. So after my two years of interning down in Maryland, uh, Syracuse had a game at Maryland early on in that season. And I went into that game talking so much smack to all of the friends that I had made while I was interning down there. It was bad. It, it, I went in just going like, you guys don't believe what this team looked like in 2018. Like you guys have no idea what's coming. And in three, like Maryland, really? Like we're going to destroy Maryland. And then Syracuse gave up 63 points and I went, this might not be the year. Right. And if they I mean, had won that game, game day was coming to Syracuse next week. Yeah. Right? That was the there thing. was there was so much hype. And then Anthony McFarland ruined all of it. And I did sidelines for that game. So I got to watch firsthand the downfall of Syracuse football for that year. I mean, it was so it was a top 25 team. Like Syracuse, I think, was ranked 20th or 21st in the country at that point. And you were going into a Maryland team that you should beat. And then you got absolutely dominated gave up game day the next week it, it the vibes were low after that i feel like there's been a couple times now where there's been game day flirted it's like the the in the, the six and oh seasons where you're ranked you're going at clemson so not ne- necessarily as maybe a winnable game as maryland yeah. but you're up what was it like 14 to three or you're up by 17 they're up by at, like, at yeah they're point. up two possessions yeah they're up yeah two possessions. and then it all just comes crashing back down to earth after the penalty and everything that goes wrong it oh syracuse football they grab they're kind of like uh, i hate making nfl comparisons but they're kind of like my new york jets where they just they grab you enough and then you're in and then they ruin you like like within a couple weeks it's 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 horrible. Um, so yeah. going going back to the podcast at that point, I, I also brought up the guest log, just kind of looking it over. Um, how as the season went on progressively, how like as a both a fan of the team and also covering it, how'd you balance like getting so high and then getting <laughs> getting so low? <laughs> well, I think we learned pretty quickly that maybe we should temper our takes. A little bit because going on the podcast and yelling where's the loss over and over again going into the football season probably wasn't our best case scenario like we were running through the schedule going number one Clemson uh, maybe I mean it's at home yeah let's let's reel in the takes a little bit and be a little bit more realistic about Syracuse sports if somebody wants to listen to the podcast so you know Again, like after after that Maryland loss, after the Clemson loss, I, I think we reeled it in a little bit. But listen, it, we were fired up going into it. If we had five listeners at that point, and we probably had fewer, they were fired up with us. So, you know, at least there was that. I really wonder after that potential of almost beating Clemson, if Dino would have saved his job at that point. And the thought of that at this point of where we are, absolutely terrifies me so i i gotta give you credit for so much support behind dino as a guy who was there for the meat of dino's tenure what will you miss about him the most i know he's not he's not an x's and o's guy but he's good with the ohana what are you gonna miss most about him i mean there was a certain amount of fun Right. I mean, the the whose house, our house celebration in the locker room, like that's forever. I mean, getting to getting to rush the field after Clemson, getting to actually see a 10 win football season. I'll always appreciate Dino for that sort of stuff, because he 
really did bring a certain amount of excitement. I, I know with Fran Brown, it's different because he also brought like good recruits with him, which is something that would have been nice when Dino started out. But like you, you believed the guy when he said like the offense was going to be fast. And then he came out in the first year and you saw it and it wasn't necessarily great, but you were like, oh, OK, like it, you saw the vision. At least I wasn't expecting greatness, especially after I think his second game was a loss to Middle Tennessee at home. I was like, okay, this, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a bumpy road, but like you saw the vision, you wanted to believe in what he was preaching, and, and you did for a while, especially after you started to see the results. The, the win over Clemson, I mean, was a programming, def program defining win at that point. And so you're obviously going to remember that. He was a great guy, you know, it, like just genuinely you could believe in somebody like Dino Babers, which, you know, it, not for nothing, right? Like it, there's always the joke of like, my neighbor's a great guy. I don't want him to be my football coach. Dino was more than that, obviously, but it was, was nice to have like somebody good to root for too. So, you know, it, there were a lot of fun times with Dino and I'll remember that, but obviously would like some more winning in there. Yeah. And now I, I think the, 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 it's definitely up in the air whether we will see him coach football ever again. I mean, the guy's in his early 60s. Uh, he obviously keeps himself in terrific shape, uh, considering, you know, the running he does out of the tunnel with his 18 to 22 year old players. Um, but, you know, I don't think it'd be a surprise, you know, if we saw him again, maybe it says, you know, like a, a special assistant to the head, like something in that role, because yeah, I think in your what in your 60s. I don't think you're, he's probably not getting another head coaching job, especially at the power five level after how things at Syracuse went. Um, and I don't know if you're hiring a 60 plus year old offensive coordinator, if you're, if you're a big time school. So uh, if we see Dino again, coaching, I don't know, but if he, you know, if we don't, then I think he's perfectly happy, you know, being retired and, and riding off into the sunset uh, wherever, wherever he may be moving to basketball a, a little bit. Your senior year basketball, quite interesting. Um, as a you know, as someone who grew up a Syracuse uh, fan myself, I I know the season well. It was it never felt like you know this is it. It, it was your senior year, especially it was this team was not as good as the year before, which which was an eight seed, or the year before that, which made a run to the Sweet Sixteen. Um, but it was the year of, oh, Elijah Hughes and Buddy Beheim, uh, scoring a lot of points. You had the emergence of Joe Girard. Um, you had all this and then, you know, I don't know, were you at the ACC tournament when, uh, when the world stopped or were you back in Syracuse? No, luckily I was not a part of that ACC tournament trip because morale was low to put it mildly at that ACC tournament. I mean, it, it, Syracuse basketball already wasn't looking good tournament wise or ACC tournament wise really at that point. But once you hit the ACC tournament and the, the season like formally collapsed in front of your eyes, it was, uh, it was tough. Yeah. It was a tough stretch. So what was that season like? Cause you had the highs of your sophomore year and your junior year. And then that senior year, the team is, I think it was probably not as good as it was the, the years before that. So what was covering that basketball season? Like, yeah, I mean, you had, again, like a lot of exciting moments. You mentioned Eliza Hughes and Buddy Beheim just scoring so many points. Uh, but it really did feel like until Joe Girard emerged a little bit, that it kind of felt like the beginning of the shift, like I mentioned with Jim Beheim, where the Syracuse basketball team just really wasn't what you were used to. And on the defensive side, especially going back to 
the the season before when you still had you know Tyus Battle, you still had Frank Howard. That was what the two three zone always was to me. And Ethan, same thing with me. I mean, I grew up a Syracuse sports fan living in upstate New York, so I always saw what that team was constructed like. And really, in my opinion, the bread and butter was having the two really athletic guards at the top of the zone, the two, three, just getting in every passing lane. And that was what you knew would be able to make, you know, help make your tournament run was you would get to the NCAA tournament. Teams weren't used to the two, three zone. You had, you know, great length and athleticism at the top. And those guys would just feast on passing lanes. You'd be able to get fast break opportunities. You had good athletic wings. And, you know, you were able to get out and score in transition. And that senior year was really a shift away from that. Because at the top of the zone, you had Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim who could really score the basketball, but were not great athletic defenders. And, you know, it, it just felt like a really different team. You still had Elijah Hughes, who was scoring a lot of points. He filled in really well into that Tyus Battle role from the previous few years there. You had the like classic fan favorites like Marek Dolajai, who was just taking every charge on the planet. And like I think every Syracuse basketball fan would die for Marek Dolajai. So you know, it was a fun team, and you saw the upside because you had two good scoring guards. Elijah Hughes was a, a bona fide number one option, but it just it never really meshed. You, you didn't have a go-to center. Barama Sadibe was like fine. Jesse Edwards hadn't emerged yet. You didn't have, you know, the great defense at the top of the zone. So it just, it never really meshed in the way that you wanted to. And then you had in classic Jim Beheim fresh, uh, in classic Jim Beheim fashion, excuse me, the freshman that just didn't play. You had, you had Bryson Goodine, nothing. You had Jalen Carey, nothing. Because they turned the ball over one time, didn't see the floor for 35 minutes and then could never find rhythm. So it, it was kind of a, a frustrating season all around. Yeah, I, before you jump in, Jordan, I'll like say that was it was so interesting how he handled that. That had to be what a five, a, a large freshman class because yeah. he like I get Carrie was the year before uh, him and Buddy were the year before, and then Goodine and so like Goodine's in the doghouse. Carrie is immediately in the doghouse, but then like he'll play freshman start freshman Joe Girard the entire season. Um, and as the season went along, uh, Quincy Gary was pretty established player, um, in the rotation as well. And he, we saw a lot of him and then, you know, a lot of the other freshmen you don't see a lot of. So it started, you know, that was always kind of a thing. And you mentioned Jesse, he was still developing and wasn't really, you know, a player at that point. Um, but it was kind of a sign of, oh, oh, this, this is where this is kind of going. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at it. I, Boo Rama was there. We didn't. We never saw uh, Sadibe play too much when I was on campus. Um, we were talking about Owen. Actually, it was like the interesting part of like they got good recruiting. Like a Jalen Carey or Bryson Goodine was highly or more highly rated Quincy Garrier, but they never developed into the stars kind of that they were supposed to be it's kind of like the Benny Williams that you know actually he showed against Pitt like what he could be with this team but that was one of the problems towards the end is developing those freshmen it's like Chris Bell last year where he would make a, a mistake early in the game take him right out and then like ride the bench until like halfway through the second half where he just randomly put him back in the game and like said go go shoot and see if you can make a shot it's 
the the handling of the 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 balancing of the rotations was interesting um at that specific time um just looking at kind of that team as a whole and you know with covid at the end of the season were were you guys obviously the the expectations were a little higher from the last two years were you guys excited when kind of the whole tournament got canceled or were you guys just like i guess like 18 and 14 could have made the, the nit yeah i mean look for being at Syracuse for four years with two sweet 16 runs in there like you're not you're not looking for NIT at that point like it was a disappointing season already and I think you started that ACC tournament with a pretty big win over yeah, Carolina they, they boat race Carolina yeah it was yeah. like not a good Carolina like it was a really down Carolina team but they no, absolutely I, I that Carolina team them. had like 14 yeah. wins but still beating Carolina by like 30 points you started to feel like maybe they could do something in the ACC tournament. Not Probably not win the whole thing, but if you made a decent run in the ACC tournament, you never know. I mean, there's a little bit of Syracuse bias in you know that round of 64. Like you, you love to see the Orange get in there, so maybe if they make a little bit of run, who knows? But yeah, I mean, obviously nobody was pumped that he had to get sent back from the ACC tournament, but we, we knew it was a disappointing season anyway, and, and there weren't going to be a ton of highs there, but no, I mean, y- you never want to just completely get the door shut on you. Looking so, at that and, North not Carolina roster, it actually wasn't horrible. Cole Anthony was a starter. Armando Baycott was probably a freshman. And Leaky Leaky Black was on that team. Yeah, Ooh, it was Leaky not. Black. Yeah, it was not. A, it was not a like they had talent. It was just a really weird Carolina year. Yeah. Yeah. You had Garrison had Brooks on that team too. Like, yeah. Cole Anthony in that happened. in that Syracuse game, Cole Anthony went two of ten, one of six from three, and six turnovers. Not a not a good game for Ooh. the future NBA guy. Oh boy. Yeah, no. I, I as someone who lived in like a different part of the country where Syracuse sports isn't focused on at all, you know, seeing Syracuse more towards the time of the pandemic when I got a lot more invested and seeing that team especially with uh with Dolajai. I I mean I loved him. First game seeing him I absolutely loved it. Exactly. I loved him. I loved the zone. I got into Bayheim. I loved Bayheim and then all of a sudden that's completely, you know, shifted. But that's just for me as someone who hadn't really been invested for super long. As someone who's been invested for longer and now Bayheim's gone. I, I don't know how much of the team you've watched, but even the concept of them no longer fully playing the zone and mostly playing man-to-man just the concept of that where does that sit with you it's weird it's weird to watch Syracuse basketball games without them breaking into the 2-3 zone it's good I mean I I always loved the 2-3 I would defend the 2-3 until the day I die but I also would have liked to occasionally see a shift to man defense if that is what the game required and I, I think it's going to help, right? I, I think there were recruits that probably crossed Syracuse basketball off their list because they want to show NBA scouts that they can play man-to-man defense and they're not able to do that in a Syracuse scheme. I, I think that's probably an underrated part of this. But again, just being able to guard one through five is nice. And with the two three zone, when you had a pretty obvious hole somewhere, like my senior year, when you had Barama Sidibe and Jesse Edwards who hadn't established himself yet, the 2-3 zone, you needed an intimidating presence at the five. And Syracuse basketball just didn't have one at that time. And it really hurt 
what the two, three could be. You didn't have the athletic guards at the top of the zone. Now, if you have a guard that's not a great defender, which this Syracuse basketball game team really doesn't right now, but if you had that, you could hide it. Or if you don't have, you know, an elite defender, like that's fine. Not every team is going to have elite defenders one through five where the two, three, you leaned on it a lot more. So it's, it's exciting to see a change. I think it was a necessary one. And, you know, this kind of feels like a shift back to, you know, some earlier Bayheim teams where the talent feels like it's there. You have a guy in Judah Mintz that I don't know if Syracuse, I mean, Buddy Bayheim turned into that guy and, and Judah Mintz is, is kind of morphing into that role now. So it's cool to see that. And, you know, it's nice to see just a change, right? After so many years of Bayheim, for if nothing else, like get some fresh ideas in there, start things moving around a little bit more. Yeah. It's, it's a really nice mix of keeping some of the same values, but also doing different things is what I've taken from Adrian Autry. Like, Oh, you know, here some things he does differently is obviously like schematically, um, but I'd say in the way he like gets on his players and gets on the officials, um, the way and the way he like lets players play with two fouls, like if they're in foul trouble, he'll let them play a little bit towards the end of the first half. Like those are all Bayheim things. But then like the way he rotates and the way he subs is very different from from what Jim Bayheim did in terms of how many guys are coming off the bench. I want to go back in time a little bit more. Uh, I don't want to you know bring up a, a traumatic time, but like during oh once when COVID hit and you know the sports world stopped, what was that like for the podcast and what was that like for WAER as a whole? Where you know like you spent four years you know building to something, and obviously it was very much towards the end. The basketball team probably wasn't going to make the tournament, so it was nearing yeah. a conclusion for you as a senior anyway. But what was that overall time like at, at WAER? Yeah, I mean, it it sucked. Uh, I think we had a really, really good senior class of guys. Um, I, I'm very fortunate to have gone through that WAR experience with a lot of guys that have remained really close, close friends. And, you know, that basketball season, if nothing else, even though it was a disappointing season, I mean, those are some of the best memories that I made during my senior year, getting to call, you know, Syracuse-Georgetown, a rivalry that I had watched since I was, you know, five years old, getting to, you know, do play-by-play -play for that game with with one of my great friends, Jack McMullen, while I was there. Like, regardless of how the season went, it was just so disappointing the way it ended. And, and it was really tough for that senior class to kind of build up to, you know, getting to have that nice send-off and then just getting it so unceremoniously. Obviously, you know, I, I'm speaking from a very fortunate position where, you know, the worst thing that happened to me during COVID was that my my college, my time at college got cut short. And, you know, the time of my radio station was was really, really tough. And, and that's a really fortunate thing for me to be able to say. But, you know, for the podcast, too, it was so new and it was just very early in its development. I mean, we weren't doing anything on the video side, like I mentioned before, like the guests were just our friends that were calling games and things like that. So it kind of left us in a bit of a precarious spot where we didn't really have anything to talk about with the sports world being shut down. We were going through that transition phase where I was now handing the keys to Owen Valentine, which I knew was very capable hands, but like, what are you going to do with it for a, a stretch here? So 
it was a weird spot where the podcast had just started up. I, I was really hoping that it could be something that would grow into to what it ended up growing into. And, you know, I, I was still hopeful at that point that that was going to be a thing. But at that time, you also didn't know what anything was going to be. I didn't know what W8ER as a whole was going to look like, what that program for us was going to continue to be. So, you know, the podcast felt kind of back burner. And, and I'm sure a lot of people could have put it on the back burner. And it's a huge credit to Owen and Ben for for sticking through that time, because the plan was always once basketball was wrapped up, you know, that was kind of the end of my time on the show and they had the keys and they were going to run it and it was going to be great. And so, you know, all, all the credit goes to them for being able to maintain that through that really tough stretch. I think it's interesting looking at podcasts in general post COVID on how they've developed and like being home and not really being able to do anything or talk game specific sports for like a three month period impacted how people like consume sports media and uh, Ethan had it up too. I have the guest log up too. I have that you were a guest, an interview in actually like February of 2021. And it does confirm the nickname, the Podfather in the description. So we're not the first ones yeah. to reference it. I didn't, I don't think I was ever called that uh, when I came back in 2021. A uh, friend of the pod and friend of mine, Matt Bonaparte, told me a couple of weeks ago that you guys referred to me as the pod father. And I think I out loud was like, whoa, whoa. Like, I that's, not that's what everyone that has important. told us. It's all, it's been passed down from Owen to Ben. And everyone... that's crazy because listen, I didn't do that much. I went to Jack <laughs> McMullen and was like, Hey, we should do a podcast. And he was like, cool. <laughs> and that was kind of it. it. There wasn't like a huge discussion with Chris Bolt. It was like, I pitched the, the idea Owen made some graphics we were like let's do an episode and see how it goes it sucked and they liked it anyway and I was like cool guess we've got a podcast now so the podfather nickname for doing really a minimal amount of work I am honored by it but is also hilarious you mentioned well, it's funny actually looking oh, at sorry, the sorry. thing we talked about the Benny Williams interview because uh I can't was that Owen's favorite or is that Ben's favorite I have both of them referenced it. Both, of them yeah. Ben, it. The Benny Williams interview right after he committed was two episodes after uh, Brendan's interview in February wow. of 2020. So it was two episodes after their actual favorite episode. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Good to know. It wasn't a. It wasn't a big enough name. They they didn't throw it out there, but deep down they knew it was their favorite. They knew. They knew. After the first episode, what was the conversation like? about it being bad was it like okay we, i i know we talked a little bit about this before yeah it was like d-line episode okay we got to scrap the whole thing let's just go to syracuse court was that essentially just oh okay. yeah so I, I don't think it was like a let's scrap the idea kind of thing I, I think we were on the right track of like the people that are going to tune into this podcast are people that are huge syracuse sports fans and so if we have like very specific ideas for episodes when we're not necessarily just breaking down a specific game. Like we thought that was going to work because like that was the audience that we were going to hit. I don't have like the numbers from very early on. I imagine the numbers are probably like two listeners for that like first few episodes. So I don't know like necessarily based on our listeners what worked and what didn't. Uh, the it sucking was mostly just on me. Uh, being bad at having a podcast 
And so I listened back to the first one and I was like, right, you got to fix some stuff here, buddy. So it was mostly, it, I don't think it was a concept thing of let's go back to the drawing board. It was me personally, let's go back to the drawing board and make sure that this thing doesn't crash and burn because somebody listens to it and goes, you're bad at this and you should stop. Uh, so it was mostly on me for, for trying to make sure that uh, I wasn't going to absolutely crash the podcast by sucking. So I felt I felt the same way for a while. I think I was telling it to Hudson last week. Like I listened to Ben and Johnny like intro the podcast so many times that like you just feel a sense of normalcy, just like sitting there and then they, you know, they bring you in. They're like, how are you? And you're like, oh, I'm doing great. Great to be with you here, Johnny uh, or Ben. Um, and then like it, once once you are entrusted and you're like the the senior of this group and then you have to do all these like little administrative things, it's like, oh, this is not actually as easy as Ben makes it sounds uh, where, you know, he's plugging all these things and he's saying all these things. Uh, we've, we've closed out all of these, you know, Ostrom alum interviews with uh, asking about your, your favorite Ostrom and, and W8ER memories. And you've referenced quite a few of them. Um, you know, I, I, we asked, you know, them about their favorite interviews, which I think would be a hard question to answer considering we've, we've pretty much gone over what the interviewing was like on the podcast, yeah. um, during your time. But if there were any other, you know, standout W8ER memories that, that you'd like to highlight, Brendan, that would be, that would be terrific. Yeah, honestly, you know, the biggest thing for me is just the relationships that I made at W8ER. I was somebody who did a whole bunch of different stuff at college and and I wasn't super close with a lot of the the WAER guys at times and then you know my end of my junior year senior year once I got onto staff started you know calling more games and stuff like that getting to go on road trips with with friends that I'm I'm really close to now I mean I remember you know the end of my junior year calling a, a North Carolina lacrosse game with Tim Leonard and, and you know getting to hang out with him for the weekend the Georgetown game which was just like a, a childhood dream come true getting the call that with Jack McMullen for you know my favorite rivalry I know it's not the biggest rivalry anymore RIP the Big East but you know it, it was still my favorite growing up which was really really cool but you know just it, getting to start the podcast too it, it's it's not something that I really thought much of at the time but getting to look back and you know and listening to you guys I I always try to, to tune into the podcast when I can and um, just getting to see what it's morphed into where, you know, you guys have a sponsor. That's crazy. I mean, you're talking to like actual writers and doing actual analysis and it, it was really fun. We, you know, we joke about the guests of just being like my friends that were calling play by play. And I was dragging them into the studio at like 10 o'clock in the morning because it's the only time that we could get, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of credit to Owen too, because as disorganized as it was, it, it was just, it was so much fun. I mean, we were throwing together graphics. We were, you know, trying to figure out when we actually had any sort of studio space to be able to record anything. We were trying to figure out what the show would look like, where it would go. And uh, just to see the fact that it's grown into something really cool that you guys are excited about, put a lot of work into and, you know, and have made a really good product. Like it's nice. It, it warms an alum's heart to be able to see that you know, something that I just started as a fun thing with my friends uh, it has turned into something really, really cool. So, well, that means a lot. Uh, it, that's very nice of you to say, and we're we're happy to continue the uh, the, the podcast going strong. Uh, we got some new ideas here for for twenty twenty four. We'll I'll, I'll run this one by you. We are planning this new, uh, you know, 
episode that we'll do every so often called the Ostrom Take Factory. Um, so we're going to be coming in. I'm with already our, in. I don't need the we're pitch. Gonna be, we're yes. going to be, we're going to be coming in with our best takes. We've had, I would say this year on the podcast, the three of us have had, have had more debates of anything, especially regarding basketball. So I'll, I'll wrap up with this. If there is, you know, one take that you have regarding any, it could be about any, anything related to, to Syracuse athletics to start off the Ostrom take factory. What would it be? Wow. That is, that is big. I have had some fiery takes over the years, probably not ones that I've been willing to put on any sort of podcast. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the worst takes that I had. So I'll give you guys that one. Oh, I think my, my sophomore year, I think I had a take that uh, Matt Moyer should be starting over O'Shea Brissett. Uh and it was probably one of the worst takes I've ever had. I mean, Matt Moyer was like the Jim Beheim doghouse guy. Like he had one turnover and he was gone. And like O'Shea Brissett, for some reason, had a much longer leash. It was like the he and was Matt the Moyer Joe was Girard. a hot, and Matt Moyer was like a significantly higher. Recruit. Yeah, he was like the Connecticut Player of the Year. Like I, he redshirted his freshman year. Like he was ready. Like this was the time for Matt Moyer to come in and be the guy. He wasn't actually going to be the guy scoring wise, but like I thought he was going to be that O'Shea Brissett role where you were getting like 15 a game and he was good. Obviously, as the season progressed, O'Shea Brissett got better and developed really well and is now like a good NBA player. But at the time, like Brissett was the Joe Girard that was getting just an unbelievably long leash for what didn't feel like a good reason. And Matt Moyer was like the Bryson Goodine that was talented and just got absolutely no run. And I think it was my sophomore year where like for the first few weeks, I was just pounding the table to have Matt Moyer start over O'Shea Brissett. And uh, it was an awful, awful take. And I regret it to this day. And uh, Matt Moyer had one game against UConn where he dropped like 20 and had some unbelievable highlight dunks. And I was like, I was right. You guys are terrible. My take is correct. And it was a, I don't think he really did anything after that. It was bad. So there, there is my worst take to start well, off. Your absolutely show. love that. Really, re- really appreciate you putting that take out. We've uh, we'll, we'll see what takes come here on the, on the Ostrom take factory coming up in, in a little bit big game for Syracuse tonight. I think this episode will come out after the game, but uh, Syracuse, Syracuse Duke, uh, you mentioned the John, I mean, you know, I said I was going to wrap this, but you mentioned the John Gillen shot. I was at that game. Were you at that game? Oh yeah. I was, was one awesome. of the first people on the court for <laughs> that game. I, I was up. I was up. I, I was in like the 300 level. So I, I unfortunately yeah. could not get down there, but yeah, no, me and my, my freshman year roommate, Austin, we, we got to the carrier dome like hours and hours before. And I think we were third row, maybe in the student section. And like, I got trampled trying to storm the court. It was the one of the best days of college. I, like the ball was in the air for about half an hour. It was yeah. unbelievable. It was awesome. And it, right. Coming back towards that end of the court anyway. Yeah. Uh, so you so see, you, you had a, you had a perfect, like, I, I think like people remember that shot. They don't forget how good that, or not how good, how much talent was on that Duke team like that was literally Jason Tatum who was one yeah. of the five best players in the NBA um playing it was in that Tatum game. it was Luke Kennard, Luke Kennard it yeah. was uh Harry Giles who at the time was like the number one recruit I think uh Grayson Allen was on that team too so that was a, a 
really, really talented Duke team. And also, by the way, a hilarious Syracuse basketball team. I don't know if you guys have gone back to look oh, at that. It's roster. like it's so that it's is so weird. It's so weird. The, one of the funniest, most random Syracuse basketball teams in recent memory. I think the leading scorer for that year was Andrew White the third, who just like took 17 threes a game and was there for one year and he was the man. And then there was Tyler Lydon who had like three putback dunks and then should have been really good and kind of wasn't. And then it was like Tyus and John Gillen, such a strange team. Yeah, freshman, I, t- right. It was uh, the problem, right. I think about that team. It's like, oh, this is what happens when in 2014, your point guard Tyler Ennis is so good and so much higher than expectations that he leaves early. And then in 2015, your star recruit, Chris McCullough, he's one and done. Uh, yeah. He played, what, five games before getting injured and still went one and done. And then the next year, you know, Malachi another player that's not supposed to be one and done ends up that's the buildup of having guys recruiting guys who you don't expect to be one and done them leaving then you have to bring in these two grad transfers who just didn't fit like Syracuse basketball at all I think it was like the worst defense in years um and I love them but Andrew White like broke Jerry McNamara's single season three-point record um (laughs) yeah it, it was a very weird season yeah because the year before and also imagine being a kid going into college at Syracuse after the Virginia game. Like you just saw Malachi Richardson do something unbelievable against Virginia. And then Syracuse basketball loses Benajay, loses Richardson, loses Trevor Cooney. And it's just, you know, the excitement was still there for 2016, but like Andrew White, John Gillen, and you had no idea where the scoring was going to come from. You had no idea what the team was going to look like. It was awesome. It was it was so delightfully weird. Uh, I think that's it. That's a perfect way to, to wrap <laughs> this up. Uh, delightfully weird. Uh, I, yeah. I guess that could be the way you describe the Ostrom Avenue podcast. Brendan, thank you so much for for taking some time. Really, really appreciate getting you back on the, on the pod. And you know, thanks for setting us up with success. No, thank you guys so much for having me. It is so nice to see that after a first episode that was terrible, uh, a really good podcast ended up coming out of it. Really, really appreciate it. And thank you again to Empire Hearing and Audiology for their continued support of the show. Make sure you're following W8ER on social media at W8ER Sports and at W8ER Sports Talk for lots of news and analysis about Syracuse athletics. Make sure to follow us on Twitter as well at Ostrom Avenue Pod. And you can check out our YouTube channel as well, the Ostrom Avenue Podcast YouTube account. W8ER.org is your place to find the podcast or wherever you get your podcasts and all. All of W8ER's written and audio sports and news content as well. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year once again. For Jordan, Hudson, and Brendan, I'm Ethan signing off, and we'll talk to you later this week.